Episode 2, Chapter 2 of the Book of Romans. I'm excited to be back with you. This is Brad Hunt, and uh, very excited to teach on the Book of Romans. Uh, I think it's one of the most uh, dynamic and necessary uh, books in the Bible, even though I consider all of them to be inspired of the Holy Spirit. This one really spells out in detail <clears throat> the uh, doctrine and theology of our salvation. Uh, it also paints a pretty clear picture of the dire need of mankind for the gospel. So before we get started, why don't we pause and have a word of prayer, and then we'll kick off into Romans chapter 2. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, thanking you so much for saving us. Now, Lord, we ask that you would reveal the word to everyone, that you would make it clear and understandable, and that uh, your spirit would uh, infiltrate and fill every word so that uh, when people hear it, they'll hear the voice of God and not the voice of Brad Hunt. Thank you for this opportunity, and we uh, look forward to how you're going to enrich our lives and help us to be a blessing to others. And, uh, and may we lead others to salvation in Jesus Christ through our words and lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, here we are in Romans chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to be using the New Living Translation for this chapter simply because there are some concepts that are pretty deep and uh, not always easily understood uh, unless we uh, read them in very modern English. There was a, uh, a scripture that the Lord Help me to understand in the gospel something Jesus said to his disciples that uh, became very powerful uh, for me to understand. Even though I've been a Christian since I was a boy, uh, Jesus said something to his disciples just before he ascended to heaven. He told them, I have many more things to say to you, but you are not yet ready to receive them. And uh, of course, I've probably read that scripture over the years as I've walked with the Lord, but I don't think the import or the impact of it really, really fell on me until recent years. And it became evident that people can walk with the Lord for a long time and still be unable to receive certain truths of the kingdom of God, even though the Bible states them very clearly because of the way we've been brought up, because of how we've been taught, 
we may simply be unable to accept certain truths in the Bible because we were taught differently than what may be actually stated there. And so as I was growing as a young pastor, my first church that I led, uh, I had um, a lot of time to spend in the Word of God, and my theology uh, changed. Um, I went to Bible school for four years, actually more than four years. I graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Pastoral Studies from uh, North Central University. At that time, it was North Central Bible College. But um, so I had a, uh, a pretty decent education in uh, doctrine and theology and in the scripture. But uh, and I, of course, I had some established uh, doctrines in my life from our own movement, uh, which have been established by uh, very educated men, men of the spirit, men of the word. And so I felt like I had the foundation that I needed uh, when I went into ministry. And yet, uh, the more I studied God's word, and the more I wrestled with certain concepts that I was coming across, I realized that my assumptions uh, may uh, have been off a little bit. And I find out that uh, we all bring our own personality and presuppositions with us to the scriptures. And uh, some of the things that we believe are a result of God's truth along with our own presuppositions. And sometimes uh, God's truth, just the plain, uh, unchanged truth stated in God's word, uh, sometimes it's not easy to accept. And I think that's why the Lord told his, his own disciples that you're not yet ready to receive certain things. And so he had to wait until they had grown in their faith and were ready to receive certain truth from God. I'm also reminded of something that Paul said to the Christians at the Corinthian church. He said, um, I had to speak to you as babes in Christ. He said, I wanted to explain other things to you, but you weren't ready for them. And he said, in fact, you're still not ready for them. And he talked about how they struggled with uh, arguments in their church. They struggled with, you know, fights and, and, and things that, frankly, uh, were the sign of being children in the Lord. And uh, some of our of Christians today have to uh, take responsibility for that. And they have to grow in the Lord and, and recognize that there are some things that they have to uh, just let go of because uh, certain behaviors are nothing more than uh, a fleshly expression from our hearts. And we need to be mature men and women of God so that uh, we can grow and receive a greater revelation from the Lord. And when I say revelation, I'm not talking about some type of vision necessarily from God. I'm talking about a revelation from God's word. There are truths in God's word 
that uh, we may not be able to receive unless we are mature. And I think Romans chapter 2 may be one of those challenges for Christians, even those who grew up in church, even those who have been Christians for many years. Um, there can be challenges uh, that we have to face. And so I'm praying that the Spirit will use this time to uh, challenge your thinking and to challenge your heart and your faith. And uh, the Spirit will guide us and he'll help us. So let's get into chapter 2. And like I said, I'm using the New Living Translation. And so let me read some verses before I make some comments. <clears throat> of course, uh, the Apostle ended chapter 1 by talking about uh, what men and women become like if they simply allow themselves to live according to their fleshly nature and uh, deny the truth of God. Uh, the sad reality is that people who, uh, and we're all sinners, the scripture teaches us that, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, but when people just allow themselves to live according to uh, their fleshly thinking, uh, they become uh, pretty bad sinners. Uh, and when I say pretty bad, I mean we, we become, if you will, very good at sinning. Uh, and, uh, and it actually, the more we sin and the better we become at sinning, the worse kind of a person we are. So when uh, chapter one in Romans comes to a close, we see that natural humanity uh, without any restraint or knowledge of God retained in their minds, they become very sinful and, uh, you know, bad people. So you come into chapter two and Paul is addressing church people, if you will. He's addressing those who have a religious upbringing, and they were taught God's law, so that many of them are Jews, um, and they were uh, taught how to live uh, based on God's revealed truth, and naturally, um, and I think that's probably the best way to approach this idea, naturally, religious people who hear about uh, natural humanity who give themselves over to sin and become uh, really bad, uh, naturally religious people are going to become indignant and condemnatory toward these sinful people. And so Paul immediately addresses that by saying, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. Talk about making the church so quiet you could hear a pin drop. When religious people hear these kinds of things, we do, in my opinion and my experience, we do what most people do we begin comparing ourselves 
with others so that we can prove to ourselves that we're not as bad as what this preacher is saying. Uh, and then Paul goes on to say, when you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And this is where the excuses come in. We begin to say, no, I don't, I haven't committed adultery. Well, maybe not in, uh, maybe not in uh, actuality, but if you have entertained thoughts of lust about another man or woman and you struggle with the desire to be with them in an intimate way and you and you begin cherishing those thoughts and allow them to stay longer than just a, a passing and, and kick it out of your mind, uh, basically we're guilty of already committing adultery in our heart. The Lord Jesus told us that. So there we are. We're guilty before God of committing adultery, even though we haven't committed the act. Paul goes on to say, we know this is verse 2. We know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. So we would expect that for the people who are adulterous, who are hateful, who are murderous, and they quarrel, and they're backstabbers. We would expect that for people like that, but certainly not someone religious like me who has grown up in church and learned right from wrong. Uh, certainly that isn't true about me, but Paul goes on to say, you do the very same things. And, and we find out that God is going to punish anyone who does such things, of course, then we come up with our excuses. Oh, I certainly don't do things like that. And if we were to think long enough, we might say, well, you know, there was that one day when I lost my temper and said something that actually shocked me that it came out of my mouth. Um, or I was amazed at uh, what I was capable of when I... Um, you know, when someone rejected me. And, and you can go down uh, whatever road you want with your memory and uh, think about things that you have excused yourself for or have come to the Lord begging his forgiveness. You know that we commit sin. And sometimes the sins we commit shock us that even though we've been raised in a religious environment, even though we've been taught right from wrong, we're amazed at what we're capable of because we thought that we were changed as a Christian. Anyway, so let's go on verse 3. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Now, I'm, I, I want, by God's grace, I want us to forget for the moment that we are saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. I want you instead to try and think of yourself as a religious person and what you have been relying on for God's acceptance and, uh, and I know that I grew up in a church that valued 
a holy life, which the Bible teaches us to have. But what happened is that in our zeal to, uh, I guess, set a standard for people to live in a holy way, we ended up making rules that uh, were not necessarily biblical. They were close to it, but not necessarily what the Bible said. And then we demanded that our members in our churches live that way. Otherwise, we were not considered a good Christian. Uh, we were considered worldly. We were considered someone that really didn't love Christ. And so these were things that were attached to our behavior. Now, you're going to see as we study this chapter that behavior does matter. Uh, it's actually an indicator of our heart condition. And uh, so if we are behaving badly, that tells you something about our heart condition. If we are behaving rightly, that tells you something about our heart condition. But let's go back to, to verse 3 here, uh, where Paul is talking to religious people. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? You see, brothers and sisters, God, the Holy Spirit, for a moment, let's, let's get back in, into the Christian realm here, that we are uh, born again of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is, is to lead us away from sin. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to condemn us or to, um, uh, it's not really condemn, forgive me, it's more to convict us there. That's the actual word from Scripture. To convict us of sin. So even believers, even people who have been born again, still sin. That's clear in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit is there to, first of all, guide us away from it, to, through our conscience, uh, tell us, no, don't go down that road. And if we do go down that road, to convict us of that sin and lead us to confession of that sin. And in the same way, Paul is saying to these religious people, can you not see that God's kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So we're, uh, if you will, we're criticizing the natural people who allow themselves to become really bad sinners. And yet, if we were to be honest, we would have to admit that from time to time, we may dip into that level of sinfulness with our words, with our thoughts. Um, and if you haven't been shocked, I certainly have been shocked by what comes out of my mouth, what comes into my head, what comes into my heart. And I've had to appeal to God for forgiveness because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You say, but you're saved now. 
that does not take your sinful nature away. It simply frees you from your sin. And I don't want to go too far down that path because that's going to be developed later in the book of Romans. For now, let's just uh, go through chapter 2 facing the fact that we are really no better than the world when it comes to sin. And, and if you were to be honest with yourself, you would have to say, you know, I do still sin from time to time. I have these thoughts. I say these words. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I maybe fight back uh, passive aggressively. Uh, I, I do things in a way that make me ashamed. So we have to recognize that when it comes to being judged for sin, we will be judged guilty of sin apart from the Lord Jesus, just like the world, okay? And, and Paul goes on to say in verse 5, but because you are stubborn, oh, ouch, 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 that has my name on it. And I know it's not just me. Many other Christians are stubborn as well. When, I'm, uh, when I am in the midst of anger or, or some other type of uh, wrong expression, I am not immediately, uh, generally, I'm not immediately sorry for what I'm doing. I'm stubbornly standing in it and I'm not going to budge because I'm angry and, and doesn't matter to me that I'm sinning. And so Paul says, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment. The King James says wrath for yourself for a day of anger. Uh, the day of God's judgment is coming. Judgment day is coming. And by the way, the Bible says all of us will go through judgment. Now, this is a different teaching altogether. The Christians will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, and it is not, uh, it's not for heaven or hell. We're going to heaven, but it will be for reward. And there are some Christians, according to the scripture, who will not carry any reward from the Lord into heaven with them because of their behavior. So that's a that's a different teaching but just 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 so you know every one of us whether we're saved or not we're going to face judgment at that time. So when Paul says a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed he will judge everyone according to what they have done. Brothers don't ever let anyone deceive you, all of us, Christians included, will be judged by what we have done. The Christian will be judged to determine our reward. The, the person who has refused Jesus will be judged uh, as to the level of their eternal punishment in hell. 
Every one of us are going to be judged according to what we have done. The Bible says in verse 7 here, God will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after glory and honor and immortality that God offers. Now, remember I said let's try and separate ourselves from our Christianity and try and view this truth from a merely religious point of view. But I want you to understand something. Even though, you know, as you go through the New Testament, you find out that no one can be saved by their good efforts, let me make this very clear. Everyone who is born again will be judged according to their behavior. And if you're born again with God's seed in your heart, you will want to do good. You will want to seek after God's glory. You will want to honor him. You will want uh, eternal life that God offers. That is what you will want. Sadly, some Christians fall away after they have been born again. They fall away from faith. They go through a crisis of faith. They begin allowing themselves to live selfishly and sinfully. And they're going to suffer because of that. Uh, I could go through, through different examples of that. One, the, the chief example that comes to my mind is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul was explaining to these Christians the reason that some of them were sick and had died before their time was because God was judging them for their continued sinfulness in the way they treated other people in the church. And that is a, it, it's, it's a, a reason for concern and it's it's something that we need to keep in mind that that God when we're born again we want to do what's right we can't wait to be in God's word we want to be with God's people and and we need to nurture that hunger and desire and not allow that to drop off because it can I mean, that's why the Apostle Paul tells, uh, I believe it's the Ephesians, that we need to keep on being filled with the Spirit uh, so that we want to stay in God's uh, truth, in His will, and obeying Him. Uh, but, but some people, when life gets difficult, uh, they might allow themselves to drift and that's a dangerous thing. So it's, 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 it's just a simple warning that God gives. It's a serious warning, but it's a simple warning that uh, God is going to give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. This is verse 7, Romans 2. He's going to give eternal life to those who keep on seeking after God's glory, who keep on seeking after his honor, who, who want eternal life that he offers. And, and frankly, he's going to help us to stay on that track. But, but I do want to warn you so that you don't allow yourself to slip away from that. Verse 8, Paul says, but God will pour out his anger and wrath 
on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness. Now, that typically uh, describes people who have not been born again, but unfortunately, from time to time, it does describe some people who have fallen away from the Lord. So going on in Romans 2 to verse 9, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first or for the religious person first and also for the Gentile or the non-religious person. So I just want you to understand that uh, the that which brings about uh, bad consequences in the life of a, of a believer is either God allowing us to be tested or us allowing ourselves to slip into selfishness and evil behavior and uh, maybe we get mad at God or we get mad at people in the church and we, you know, we, we walk away and allow ourselves to continue to practice what we know is wrong. There is judgment, if you will, for that. Uh, I would call that discipline from our Heavenly Father and discipline can go as far as God taking us home or taking our lives, if you will. Uh, before uh, our time because he wants to save us from being condemned with the world. And this you can find in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. But uh, verse 10 of Romans chapter 2, but there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All right, so I, I, I really uh, have a strong belief that this message is very timely for our present culture, our present society, our present world, because I believe we're living in the last days, and uh, the Holy Spirit said in the last days, terrible times will come, men will be lovers of themselves, and you can go down the list uh, yeah, I think it's 2 Timothy 3, and you will find a description of people who've got very self-centered behaviors, and at the end, it says they have a form of godliness. So basically, if they have a form of godliness, it means that they, in my opinion, it means they're church people. It means they've gone to church, they're part of a church, they claim to be Christians, but they're living in very self-centered and uh, fleshly uh, behaviors that are going to bring about uh, God's uh, judgment uh, for his children. And so God help us if we see any of those things uh, lingering in our lives, God help us to repent. To, to come before him, to lay, lay it at his feet, if you will, in honesty and ask his forgiveness and, and turn from it and by his grace walk away from it and not, not live that way anymore uh, 
in our church, pastor has been talking about revival, and basically that's revival. When a person is convicted in their heart of uh, a practice in their lives that they, they've discovered is disappointing to God and, uh, and is, is causing him shame or embarrassment, we come to him and we, we turn it over to him, we ask his forgiveness, we walk away from it. That's revival, folks. That's revival. Now, in verse 12 of Romans 2, Paul says, when the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed. And you go, whoa, what? You know, what's? Because the wages of sin is death. Brother, if it's a religious person or a non-religious person, the, the punishment for sin, if we don't accept Jesus, is death. Uh, so Paul says, when the Gentiles sin, they'll be destroyed even though they never had God's written law. So, you know, someone might say, but I never knew. Well, that's not true. We established in Romans chapter 1 that God's eternal attributes were clearly seen in what he's made so that men are without excuse. There really is no excuse. So the next time someone says to you, but what about someone who lives very remotely and, and there's no media, no chance to uh, hear the gospel, uh, it, it's not fair that God would judge them. Well, that's not true, because God has placed in the heart, and this is Bible, God has placed in the heart of every human being some type of understanding that there is a God. And you will find, and I believe there are plenty of testimonies to bear this out, you will find that even people in the remotest areas, when missionaries come back or maybe science teams come back and talk about these remote people groups, I think every one of those groups have some type of deity they worship. Even if it's nature worship, they are worshiping something greater than themselves. There is this sense in man that he has to honor uh, a supernatural being. Uh, so anyway, uh, men are without excuse. Women are without excuse Church people are without excuse. We can't say that we did not know. There's enough knowledge for us to go and seek for God and try and find him. There's enough knowledge for anyone to do that. So we go back to Romans chapter 2, verse, 13, or verse 12, and Paul says, And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law, when they fail to obey it. Wow. And, you know, as you study the New Testament, you find out that no one can perfectly keep the law of God. They might for a while, but eventually they're going to break it because we all have the nature of sin in us. And so Paul teaches later in the New Testament that if we break God's law in the smallest point, he said we are guilty of breaking it all. So we can't get away from being judged by what we know. And so the Jews, for example, who do have God's law, they'll be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. Because listening 
to the law or the Bible, if you will, doesn't make us right with God. It doesn't matter how many sermons we listen to. It doesn't matter how much time we spend studying God's word. If it's obeying the law or the Bible that makes us right in God's sight. You say, well, no, I'm saved by grace in Jesus Christ. You know what? If you are saved by grace, then you are going to obey Jesus because that is what we are saved to do. We are saved to be like him. We are saved to follow him. So for anyone to say that, that once Jesus saves them, they have no responsibility to God, they've deceived themselves because we are called to live the way Jesus lived. And Jesus, when he was on this earth, took up his cross and went to the hill of Golgotha and laid down his life because that was God's will for his life. And he tells us that we need to take up our crosses, in fact, daily is what he said, and follow him. So we have this uh, we have this kind of life that we have accepted. He gives us salvation and eternal life, and we give him our lives. And if anyone is not living for the Lord Jesus, and they call themselves a Christian, they're lying to themselves. Because if you, if you know Jesus, if you've been born again, you'll live like him. Now, the apostle goes on in verse 14 of Romans chapter 2 to point out that even Gentiles who don't have God's law often show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. There are some very moral people in this world even though they don't go to church. We have met them. I've met them. They're moral people. They're decent people. They're... um. You know, they don't go to church. They might not even call themselves God-fearing, and yet they act as though they know God's truth. They're, they're sacrificial with people who need help. They're kind. They, um, you know, you could go down whatever list you want of righteous behavior, and you've witnessed it in the lives of people who aren't necessarily church people. And Paul is pointing that out here. He says even Gentiles who don't have God's written law show they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. That just shows you what God has planted in the heart and life of every human being. There is an image of God that has not been eradicated from the human race. There is a, now, a person can become so seared in their conscience that they cease becoming, uh, or that they cease behaving as if the image of God is inside of them, and that's a sad thing. If someone gives themselves over to sin to the point that their conscience is seared as with a hot iron, uh, they've basically damned themselves. And apart from some type of miracle of the Holy Spirit that would grant them the grace to turn from their sin, uh, they're basically damned and on their way to an eternity without God and an eternity in hell, uh, which is a, a terrible thing. But it can happen. So 
going back to the non-church person, the Gentile, uh, who is behaving according to God's law without having heard it. Uh, verse 15, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. Some people follow their conscience and they do the right thing when they follow their conscience. And you might say, well, their parents raised them right. Not necessarily. It may simply be that image of God that we were created in has not been fully eradicated in that person, and they may not have gone to church, they may not have heard too many sermons, but they listen to their conscience, which shows that they have a good heart. Now, are they saved? It'd be tough to say that they are born again and saved, but they are certainly following their conscience, which is telling them the right things to do. Now, I don't want to skip this one verse because I think this is something that everyone needs to hear. This is verse 16 of Romans chapter 2. Paul says, and this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Brothers and sisters, whatever happens in secret is going to come out in public. Jesus said that. He said that uh, everything, uh, uh, it's basically this principle, whatever's done in secret is going to be declared from the housetop. It's going to come out. If it doesn't come out here on earth during this life, it will come out on judgment day. So, our secrets are going to be laid bare. Now, my hope is that by accepting Jesus Christ, by following him faithfully, my hope is that when I stand before him, he won't bear those secrets because they're forgiven. But I'll tell you what, when, we stand before, when a person stands before God, if he has not been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, his secret sins are going to be brought out. Everyone's going to see them. No matter what this person said or did for their neighbors, their secret sins are going to be displayed. And they will know that God's uh, judgment on them is just because the wages of sin is death. Now, Paul, moving on from here into verse 17 and following, uh, I think he brings up an argument that is good for us Christians to listen to because I feel like it describes me. Maybe you'll see that it describes you. Paul says to the Jews or the religious people, you, call, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law. So what do Christians often rely on for their right standing with God? Is it how much you pray? Is it how many people you've led to Christ? Is it how much you've gone to church? Is it how much you've given in the offering? I think many times that is what I rely on without realizing it. You know, I'm a good Christian because I do these things. I, I teach people. I, um, I lead people. I, I go on missions trips. So 
obviously, you know, God is going to be pleased with me. And we come to find out that, uh, let me, let me continue on what Paul says here. Verse 17, again, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law and you boast about your special relationship with him. And a lot of people do that now with Jesus. Oh, I know Jesus and I love him. You know what he wants. We know what Christ wants. We know what God wants because we've studied the scripture. You know what is right. This is all from the New Living Translation. Paul's saying, you know what is right because you have been taught his law. And for us, we've been taught his word. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind. How many Christians believe in their heart that they can help other people uh, who don't know the truth and don't have wisdom. And Paul says, you're convinced you're a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. Oh, that describes how I think of myself knowing the scripture and, and going out to teach people. Paul goes on, you think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children. Oh my goodness, how many people are Sunday school teachers and because they want to lead children to Christ. And so we, we have these, we have these uh, opinions of ourselves. And, and, and Paul goes on to say, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. And, and we as Christians, we feel confident that we know the truth because we've been taught the scripture. And then Paul nails it. Well, then he says in verse 21, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? And once again, the congregation is as quiet as can be. And you can hear a pin drop. You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? We tell people they shouldn't steal, but maybe we cheat on our taxes. Or maybe we don't pay certain fees that are owed to the county that they say we owe, and we just think it's stupid, so we don't do it. We tell other people, don't steal, but do we steal? Paul goes on, you say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? Oh, man, do you know the statistics of Christians who struggle with pornography? Who, you know, they would teach their people to avoid pornography. It'll pollute your life. It'll ruin your marriage. And secretly, they struggle with it. Because on our phones or on our computers, we can access it any time we want Maybe we consider it a guilty pleasure. Guess what? If we say, and I, I, I can think right now of one preacher in particular, I'm not going to give his name, obviously, but he was a, a, a well-known preacher of a large influential church, and he preached against homosexuality, and it came out that he, on a regular basis, was having an affair with a young man. And so basically his testimony was ruined by the secrets that he kept from others. So Paul says, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You, you say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? He said, you condemn idolatry, but do you steal from pagan temples? He said, you're so proud of knowing the law. 
but you dishonor God by breaking it. What kind of an opinion does the world out there have of the church? And I want you to be honest to what you have heard. I, I think there are some people who have a good opinion of the church, but there are a lot of people who look at the church and say it's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. All they want is our money. And you say, yeah, well, they're sour for this reason or another reason. And I agree with you. There are some people who are speaking without knowledge and are speaking uh, just because they have a, an axe to grind. But there are some who would sincerely say, I don't trust the church because they don't live according to what they preach. And we would have to be honest. Do you know the percentage of Christians who get divorced now is the same or worse than people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that, you know, I, I told you that the percentage of Christians who have admitted to struggling with pornography, men and women, is very high? Brothers and sisters, the church is living like the world in many cases. And so Paul says the scriptures, no wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. There are non-church people who blaspheme God and, and make fun of Jesus and make fun of our worship because of the fact that we can't exercise self-control. And we, we would have to admit he's right. Paul goes on in, in verse 25 to say the Jewish ceremony of circumcision, which is a, a religious a ritual that the Jews were told by God to perform, and that circumcision was a sign of their devotion to God. And there are Christians today who wear crosses, and we, we hang religious symbols in our homes, and, and you know we're trying to say by the things around us that we are God-fearing and devoted to God, and Paul says uh, circumcision doesn't have any value if you don't obey God's law. Just like uh, saying you're a Christian has no credibility if you don't try and live like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that if you live a faultless and sinless life, you'll be a Christian. No, 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 no. That's why Jesus died, because we can't live a faultless or sinless life. However, God expects us to try and resist sin. I can't help but think of what, what God's testimony of Job was before Satan. God said, have you, have you noticed my servant Job? It said he shuns evil. Brothers and sisters, Christians ought to be known by their efforts to shun evil not by their practice of doing evil, but by our practice of shunning evil. Paul goes on to talk about the Jew and circumcision. He says, but if you don't obey God's law, you're no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And that's the same thing with someone who calls himself a Christian. If they're not trying to shun evil, they're not saying to anyone that they're a Christian. 
They're simply, you know, someone might know that they go to church. But it doesn't prove that they're a Christian. Verse 26, and if the Gentiles or the non-church people, non-religious people, obey God's law, like I said, there are a lot of moral people out in the world. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? There may be some non-Christians, if you will, that God honors more than some who call themselves Christians. Verse 27, in fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. Verse 28, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents. How many people go to the same church their grandparents went to, their parents went to? It's just kind of become a family tradition. They were born into a Christian family. So they, they just kind of accept the fact that, well, this is my family's church, and so I'm going to go to this church. Going to a church that your ancestors went to doesn't make you a Christian, and we all know it. Just because we serve on a committee, just because we help out in potlucks, just because we, we do some good things doesn't mean we're a Christian. We need to be born again and transformed from the inside out. So Paul in verse 29 says, no, a true Jew. By the way, many Gentiles are Jews. And here's what I mean by that. And we'll find that later on in uh, the book of Romans. We'll find out that those who are Israel are those who display the faith of Abraham. That's what God says. They are the Jews. They are Israel, those who display the faith of Abraham. Just because someone is born a, a Jew doesn't make them a Jew in God's sight. Just because someone is born a, as a Christian or in a Christian home doesn't mean they're Christians. They need to come to Christ themselves. And Paul says in verse 29 of Romans 2, No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. It's a change of heart produced by the Holy Spirit. Do you know what's interesting? And, and the Lord helped me to understand this, and, and it was quite a, an enlightening truth. Do you know just as outer circumcision is the removal of flesh? Circumcision of the heart, which Paul speaks about to the Colossians and to others. Circumcision of the heart is what God does in us through Christ. That is the removal of flesh from our newly born again self. Now. Like I said, we all have to battle with this, this sinful nature that lives alongside of us, the newly born again spiritual person. We still have this sinful nature that we have to wrestle with. And it gets easier to 
put it to death the more times we do it. But the Lord Jesus, when he comes into your heart and when you are born again and you become a brand new person, he removes any tendency toward flesh from that new person you have become. And that side of you, the spiritual side of you, has no desire to practice sin and to do anything that God would find offensive. It's your carnal nature that wants to do that. And, and the reason that Christians live according to their sinful nature is because either they've allowed themselves to do that by not feeding their spiritual man enough, or they were never saved in the first place. And that's a tough truth to accept. But a person who is born from above has a changed heart. And the Spirit of God removes any tendency to live fleshly lives from that spiritual man or woman. That's who we need to follow. And I'm excited to move on in the book of Romans. Next episode is going to be Romans chapter 3, but this is the close of Romans chapter 2. God bless you, and may the Spirit of God bring about real revival in our lives. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within His presence I speak Jesus